Amen. All right, check this out, Bobby. You ready? Hey, that's right. She may have started out blind. True story. But once this lady was saved, she became one of the greatest hymn writers of all time. And it all started when she was a child at the age of just six weeks. Okay, she came down with a cold, which caused her eyes to become inflamed. Okay, and so her family uh, sought out her regular doctor, but he wasn't available, so they got another doctor. He was called in to, and he decided to treat her eyes with a heat pack. Well, unfortunately, this procedure destroyed her vision. In fact, after that fiasco, that doctor immediately hurried up and left town. But as she grew up, she harbored no resentment, and cheerfully she accepted her lot as simply the will of God. In fact, she had been a religious person, okay, from childhood, but it wasn't until she was 31 years old that she actually truly got saved. And it began one night with a dream, listen to this, and in that dream, a friend of hers who seemed to be dying asked her this question, will you meet me in heaven? Wow. And it was this question that not only got her thinking about life, it was this question that God used as a tool to save her soul. And it didn't take long once she got saved for the hymns of praise to begin to flow uh, from this woman. Uh, such songs, maybe you've heard of them as Blessed Assurance, Draw Me Nearer, Praise Him, Praise Him, To God Be the Glory, and Tell Me the Story of Jesus, just to name a few. In fact, when all was said and done, this one Christian woman wrote over 8,000 hymns and over 50 million copies shared across the world. In fact, to show you just where her true source of joy was, one time a preacher actually came up to her and said, I think it's a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered you with so many other gifts. To which this woman replied, Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I should be born blind? And then she said this, Why? Because when I get to heaven, sir, the first face that I will ever gladden my sight will be the face of my Savior, Jesus. Now that's a great attitude. So at the age of 95, she got to do just that. She got to see Jesus Christ, her Savior, face to face. Her name, of course, was Fanny Crosby, if you heard of her. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but you take a look, and that's not everything, but that's a true story. That really happened. How many guys would say that? Now that, Fanny Crosby, that's a life worth living for as a Christian, right? Amen, that's awesome, okay? And that's what we all hope and pray that our lives would turn out, be that kind of fruitful, okay? But as we saw, there's a problem. Even though we saw that God is the same God uh, as uh, Fanny Crosby's time, as just as today, and we're just as much his children as she was, right? Here's the problem. Most of us Christians today, we read the Bible in one hand, we look at our life in the other, and we go, man, what's wrong here? Something doesn't compute. Something's not right. Why is it that people like Fanny Crosby get to have this amazing, awesome, fruitful walk with Jesus Christ? And here I am fumbling around in the dark. I don't have a life worth living for. I got a life worth giving up, okay? Now, that's the sad point. Here's the good news. It doesn't have to be that way, okay? Read the Bible. It doesn't have to be that way. That kind of life worth living for, like Fanny Crosby had, is available to every single Christian. Turn to somebody and say again, that means you, okay? It really is, okay? And that's why we're going to continue our study, a life worth living for, specifically, hello, in these last days. Okay, and what we're doing, we're taking a look at different keys that I believe are absolutely pivotal if we're going to have an amazing, fruitful, awesome walk for Jesus Christ here on earth like Fanny Crosby had. Now, we saw that first key to experiencing that life worth living for is how in the world then do you experience God's joy? Okay, but once again, don't take my word for it. I want to drill this into our head so there's no confusion. How does that happen? How do you experience God's joy? So let's go back to our opening text we saw last time. Let's get to the heart of the matter. Go to John chapter 15. 
John chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. Let's take a look. All right, how does this happen? Is it really true? Is it only for a select few or is it for everyone? Everyone. That's right, Mary. Back in action. Everyone. That's right. And then Jesus doesn't leave us hanging high and dry like, well, how does it happen? This is just some Christianese word. I don't know. It's not. He tells us exactly what you got to do to experience his joy. Okay. John 15, we're going to get to the heart of the matter at verse 9. Pick it up there. Verse 9 says this, as the father, Jesus speaking, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, how do you experience this joy? We saw in the top part last week, you abide in him, spend time with him, just get busy loving Jesus. And he uses a similar word here. He says, now remain in me and my love. Well, that's a great thing to do. But how do you know if you're remaining in Jesus and his love? What's the acid test? Keep reading. He says, here it is. How do you know? If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Right? You know, oh, I love Jesus. I'm remaining in him. Are you obedient to what he says to do? then you're not remaining in him. But if you remain in him, you're obedient to him. That's your acid test, number one. Just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remained in his love, and I told you this so I can just ruin all your fun. And you're going to have a boring life as a Christian. And you might as well just wait to get saved until you get really old and you're almost at death's door. Isn't that what the world thinks? Right? No. He says, I told you this. Why? So that my joy may be in you. And listen, once again, that your joy may be what? may be made full or made complete there depending on your translation okay but what we see once again jesus declares to you and i there's no you don't have to take a seminar you don't have to buy a book or nothing like that it sits right here in this text jesus says when you and i the christian after we get saved here's the great news if you would just come to him if you would remain in him if you would abide in him and if you would love him and show him that you love him by doing what he says to do which by the way name one command that's bad for us in the scripture none they're all for our good. But if you remain in him and abide in him and just come to him and love him and obey him, what's the payoff? He says, I'm not just going to give you my joy, Jesus' joy. Okay, he says, I'm going to give it to you so it's, it's, just, it's full, it's complete. As we saw last week, it literally means in the Greek to be made full, literally filled to the top. The idea is it's bubbling over. You got so much joy, it's just oozing out of your ears. Look at somebody's ears and see what you see today. Hopefully it's joy, and I'll just move on. That was kind of weird, but anyway, so, okay, but here's the problem, okay? That's the good news. It's right there. You don't have to wonder. You can, whoa, be that joyful Christian filled to the top. It is coming out of your ears. Uh, what's the problem? We live in this wicked world system, and what's the world try to get you and I to do? The old switcheroo, and this world wants you to, and I to be rotten witnesses for Jesus. How? By messing up our countenance, Right? Because we saw last time, it's, all, it's such a profound witness when you go up to somebody, hey, come to Jesus, he's so wonderful. <laughs> and it doesn't work, and the enemy knows that. right? So he doesn't want you to experience God's joy. This world tempts you and I instead, though, to look for a temporary happiness that's based on external circumstances, which is not consistent and never can be this side of heaven instead of this biblical joy, okay? And the first way we saw last week, we get tricked into missing out on this joy, is he gets us to seek happiness in things instead of joy from the king. And there we saw, instead of receiving a permanent joy in Jesus Christ, enjoying it every single day, coming out of your ears, the world says, no, nope, no, nope, no, nope. apparently that's too simple. You need to seek it in perfect comforts, which is not reality, perfect futures, perfect trips, and even so-called perfect bank accounts. If I just had enough time, I have enough money, a new vacation, a new house, new clothes, uh, that's when I'll be happy. And it never works, does it? Never lasts, does it? 
And so when you try to seek happiness in that, it doesn't work and it doesn't last. And by the way, all the time you're going down that route, you got a rotten countenance, which translates into a rotten witness for Jesus. Unfortunately, that's not all. The second way we get tricked into missing out on God's joy, being a bad witness for Jesus in the last days, is by seeking happiness and behavior instead of joy from the Savior. Now that right there, Ron, I don't know about you, but that puts, a, that puts joy in my heart. I mean, did you guys just notice that? Last week it was seeking happiness in things instead of joy from the king. This week it's seeking happiness in behavior instead of joy from the Savior. It rhymes. Hey, it's a preacher thing. I get excited about it. Actually, it's a teaching technique. But anyway, the first behavior, the first behavior we're tempted to find this happiness in, which doesn't last. Here it is, folks. The perfect body. You know what I'm saying? Ruth, I am here for you. In fact, I'll even remove that text. Go ahead and stand up. Announce to the congregation. I'll let you do it. I'll get you airtime. Ready? That's my husband. Go ahead if you'd like to. Yeah, get up for Ruth. Yeah. That's right. Wives can dream. But anyway, that's right. But no, I'm sure John's trying to be modest about it. Okay. But the perfect body. Isn't that what the world says? Oh, the reason, see, the reason why I'm so grumpy and I'm a bad witness for Jesus, <laughs> walking around doing this. And I, you know, I got a justification. You see, because I don't have a perfect body. If I just had a perfect body, yeah, then I'll be happy. Right? Anybody ever fault for that? That's a big craze. Okay. Yeah, I know, Ruth, that would make you happy. I heard that, but anyway. Uh, anyway uh, but, but folks, I'm not talking about in the world. I'm talking about people in the church. Have you heard the conversations? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's gotten so bad that people in the church, right, instead of just abiding in Jesus Christ, remaining in him every single day, enjoying his joy, oozing out of your ears. No, no, no. You will buy any book. You'll pop any vitamin. You'll go on the latest uh, craze. It happens every year, right? Hey, did you hear about the PX95,000? <laughs> Right? Or, hey, no, you got to get this stair stepper thing. You got to do the gym thing. And how much money and time is wasted on stuff that ends up going into a garage sale or still taking up space in your garage? It just, right? But it's not just the world, it's even the church. But, folks, I don't know if, but, hey, sorry to burst your bubble there and pay attention, young whippersnappers. Have you learned this one yet? I don't care how many pills you pop, I don't care how many vitamins you ingest, I, you are not going to stop the inevitable. You live long enough, sooner or later, your body starts falling apart. Yeah. Isn't it awesome? Something great? For instance, in case you don't believe me, one morning you're going to wake up and you're going to realize that that twinkle in your eye, that's merely a reflection of the sun on your bifocals. You know, it's already happened. Okay. One day, young whippersnapper, you're wild oats. You're going to wait. They're going to turn to prunes and all brand. You know what I'm saying? In fact, you're going to start having dreams about prunes and that's kind of creepy. Okay. And one day, hey, your knees might buckle, but your belt won't. Okay, and you'll get, to, you'll get to a certain age where your idea of weightlifting, yeah, I just made it off the couch. <laughs> Woo, yeah. Try that again later, losing, right? That's weightlifting for you when you get, and your happy hour when you get older, it's called a nap. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, I tell you what. And you know what, your idea of a night out, just going out in the patio, right? And your address book, it changes. Now it's just full of names that start with doctor, Okay. And one day, hey, face it, especially guys, check this out. Hopefully it's not girls, but guys, one day, you're going to have more hair coming out of your ears than on your head. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of creepy. That's weird all, all the time. And you're going to party? Yeah, you'll still party. Yeah, yeah. Neighbors won't even realize it. In fact, they'll call you at 9 p.m. and say, did I wake you up? Okay, it's going to happen, folks. You're not going to stop the inevitable, okay? And as Christians, come on, we know better than that, right? 
What's the problem? We get sucked in the way of the world too, and it doesn't keep us from trying, okay? And so here's what we do. Instead of receiving that permanent joy in Jesus Christ, this world tips you and I to seek happiness in this so-called fabulous physique, right? Trying to keep that fountain of youth forever. It's just not going to happen. And we start off with phrases like this. I want to get practical for you. We'll say, hey, well, okay, I'm a grump, and I'm a bad witness for Jesus, and I got a sour attitude, blah, blah, blah. But all right, here it is. Here's my panacea. I'll be happy when I find that perfect diet. Oh, he's going meddling already, right? But folks, haven't you learned this one yet? How many have how many you been on now? That one so-called perfect diet that you got all excited about, yeah, didn't work, didn't last. And so it turned into the so-called next perfect diet and the next perfect diet and the next one and the next one and it never ends. And so guess what? Your search for happiness in that never ends too. God wants to give you something better. How about some free joy today? It really is that simple. We're getting schnookered. But we don't stop there. We'll say, no, 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 no. It's not just happiness. It's not just about losing weight. No, no, no. I'll be happy when I get that perfect health, right? See, that's why I'm so grumpy. That's why I'm not a good witness for Jesus, because my health just isn't really that good. Well, folks, okay, listen. I don't know if you know this is pattern up, but sooner or later, guess what? You get one, you live long enough. It's, I don't know, maybe it's just me. You, you get rid of one health problem. Yay! You live long enough, guess what's coming down the corner? another one. You get rid of that health problem, guess what? Here comes another one. Anybody start seeing a pattern yet? Right? This is not heaven. Heaven comes later. Right? We're not going to have a perfect body. The scripture is clear about that, okay? Our bodies are not destined to last forever. This side of heaven, praise God, when we get to heaven, new ones, perfect ones, amen? But not here. Okay? Yeah, it is something to look forward to, okay? And until we realize this, folks, our lives are always going to be filled with unnecessary pain. Like this lady. Check this out. One day there was this lady who was, she was having health problems, all kinds of health problems. And she was hurting all over, Don. You ready for this? And she went to see her doctor. And when she got there, the doctor says, well, ma'am, what, what seems to be the problem? Where are you hurting? And the lady says, doc, I, I'm hurting everywhere, man. I'm hurting all over the place. And so she proceeded to touch her arm. And she goes, ah! Oh, that seems right there on my arm. And then she touched her leg and went, ah, oh, see right here, it's on my leg. And then she touched her nose and she was, oh, that's right there on my nose. And she died, I'm hurting all over. And the doctor says, lady, you got a broken finger. <laughs> yeah, broken finger. You get it now? It's okay. That's one of those ones that you go ahead and tuck away in your pocket. And later at lunch, it might pop out and give you a little chuckle. You can save it for later, okay, for those who didn't get it. Like, what? How many of you guys would say that lady was causing a lot of unnecessary problems in her life, right? She had one, but she was creating a bunch more. Her poking around created problems. Should have just kept it contained. Now, here's the point, folks. In all seriousness, it's the same thing with you and I. When we listen to this world, we don't have to poke around. Here it is. How do you get this joy? Coming out of your ears. Woo-wee! Right here, Jesus. That's it. Case closed. But no, what's the world say? Hey, try this. If I had a perfect diet, if I had a perfect body, if I had perfect health, and this is perfect health. How many times do we have to go through that? Where we say, you know what? I got a broken finger. I got a broken thought pattern. It's not in this world. It's in Jesus Christ. Heaven comes later, folks. One day, your search for the so-called fountain of youth, if you live long enough, is going to turn into a waterfall of wrinkles. Just deal with it. I'm here to encourage you this morning. Let's close in prayer. No, there's some good stuff, right? All right. But if you seek for happiness in that, guess what? It's going to wrinkle up too. 
Now, again, don't miss the whole point that I'm saying here, guys. There's nothing wrong about being happy about trying to eat right or trying to have good health. I'm not saying that. That's not my point. Go ahead and enjoy it while you can. But here's the point. The Bible says don't make the mistake, though, of placing your joy in them. Why? Because perfect bodies are not possible this side of heaven. And this is just one passage where Peter tells us this, folks. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24. As the prophet says, people are like grass that what? Dies away. Hey, Ron, when the water was on the blink out here, we got the grass going really good. You've done a great job. Him and Orson, give him a hand there. Playground over there. But when we had a problem there for the water, we had to shut it off till the plumbing leak got fixed. How long did it take for that grass to change colors? Not very long, right? Starts out, that's what he says. Just, just like us, folks. That's our bodies, right? Just like, hey, and it'll fade away. Their beauty fades as quickly as the wildflowers. Hey, hi, look at that. Just spent 14 hours planting those wildflowers in the back two weeks later. It's here, and it goes away. That's what he says our lives are like, our bodies are like. I translate it like this. Hey, the Bible's clear, folks. Flabbiness comes and muscle tone goes. Have you noticed that? Remember that back in is just a guy thing. Ladies can work out too, but you go to that workout stage, right? You can be the weightlifter guy. I know it's apparent, but anyway, just roll with me. But, <laughs> but you get there, guys, you know, we're always big about the bicep thing or the tricep. Look at these things, right? And you get to that age, and you stop working out, and, and all of a sudden, your, your tricep, all of a sudden, it, it, it turned into wings, and you fly away. <laughs> Happens all the time. Flabbiness comes, muscle tone goes, so just try and find happiness in them. But if you seek joy in God... It doesn't matter what your body's doing. doesn't matter how old you are. doesn't matter what your health is. doesn't matter what you look like. If you seek joy in God today, oh, you got joy coming out of your ears. And you didn't have to buy it. It's right here. So I would ask you, which would you rather have? Happiness. In a so-called perfect body, which you can never have, this side of heaven anyway, or joy. Oh, and by the way, how would that affect your countenance and your witness when your body does start to fall apart and your health goes away and people see you still joyful in Jesus? Maybe God could use that to lead him to him. Wouldn't that be awesome? Okay, but that's not a second behavior we're tempted to find happiness in, not just a so-called perfect body. Okay, it's a perfect relationship, huh? Isn't that what's been drilled into us from we high, that Ken and Barbie? That's right. That soulmate, huh? If I just find that soulmate, that person, and life will be great, right? Now, I know, again, none of us do that here, so just bear with me, okay? But here's what we do. Instead of receiving a permanent joy in Jesus Christ, this world tempts you and I to look for this temporary happiness and this fantastic companion, so to speak, right? And the first level, we say, well, hey, I'll be, I know I'm grumpy, but you know, I'm just, I'm lonely. I, I just, if I, and I'm not a good witness for Jesus, but it... as if Jesus is not enough. The creator of the universe is not enough to be a friend of God. But this is what we say, oh, no, no, I'll be happy, I'll be happy if I just get that perfect friendship. Huh? That's when I'll turn around and be a great witness for Jesus. But folks, have you learned this one yet? There is no such thing as a perfect friendship. And you know why? Well, I've noticed this track record. Because have you noticed this weird dilemma, John? Every friendship you've ever had involves you. 
<laughs> and guess what? You have. You have a sin nature. So guess what? Eventually that friendship goes through challenges or might even go away. Right? There is no such thing as a perfect friendship. Okay? We have a tendency to mess them up. So guess what? You seek for happiness in that. It gets messed up too, doesn't it? Up and down, all over the place. There's no consistency. But they say, no, I need something deeper than that. Not just a friend. I need the ultimate friend, right? I, I'll be happy when I get that perfect marriage. Huh? Now, I, yeah, I know you're trying again, John, but I'm not even going over there. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, you, things are going good for you. I just showed that picture of you, okay? But that's you. Right? But folks, I, I hope there's a, uh, you've learned this one too. Listen, not just a friendship, but there is no such thing as a so-called perfect marriage, okay? Give it. If anybody comes up to you and say, hey, we're a Christian couple. We never have problems. They just lied. He's turned to him and saying, love, you're a liar, okay? Because, hey, why? Because you both got a sin nature. And folks, I don't know what, uh, if you, you do the same thing. You know, you're Christians, you get married, and you think, oh, that person's going to be awesome, and it's going to be great because we're Christians. We're not non-Christians, and so we, we both know the Word of God, and it's going to be great. It's going to be phenomenal. And Brandy and I, when we first got married, and we, we had this, these great expectations, right? And then it was that the first, oh, it's, oh we, we, it was all visualized, too, in our brains. We were going to be that romantic couple, two people, riding off in the sunset in this beautiful carriage and then reality set in <laughs> we discovered we were two bulls in a china shop driving around on the adl camino remember that <laughs> man that was, that was a whopper and folks i don't know about you but i figured out i did i was a guy john i was suffering i was man what's going on here man you just burst my bubble I found out, you know the reason why I had challenges that first year of marriage? I married somebody that had a sin nature. <laughs> she didn't tell me that. I wasn't on her card. Nothing. And then Brandy found out even faster why she was having even more troubles was because she married a bigger sinner than her. <laughs> okay, here's listen. There is no such thing as a perfect marriage, okay? And you talk about self-inflicted pain, but that's what we do, isn't it? We put all these false expectations on our marriage or friendship, which they can never live up to, and it creates a bunch of problems, okay? Like this guy. One guy he shared with his buddy at his work. How when he got married, whew, man, the first thing he did was to let it be known that he expected his wife to cook him a full breakfast every single morning, right, guys? <laughs> anyway well the co-worker he couldn't believe it man because man his wife never cooked him a breakfast in all the years they've been married not even once and so the first man he continues says in fact you know over the years i started feeling sorry for her having to slave over that hot stove there and i decided to help her out and so the other guy says well what'd you do and the first man said well i i, I watched my wife's routine uh at breakfast over the next few years you know years i had to make sure i got it right and one day while I was sipping my coffee there, I noticed she, wasn't, she, was, she was wasting a lot of time by making all these unnecessary trips between the refrigerator and the stove and table and cabinets, carrying just one item at a time. And so one day I told her, I says, honey, why don't you try carrying several things at once? And the co-worker said, well, did it save her time? He said, yeah, actually it did. It used to take her 20 minutes to make breakfast. Now I do it in seven. How many guys would say that man should have just kept his mouth shut? You know what I'm saying? He had a good thing going, but no. Sin nature raises its ugly head and ruins everything. 
Folks, this is the same thing that we do, okay? Unfortunately, we place these false expectations on a spouse. We, we, we think that they should walk on water, should never make a mistake. And of course, they made a mistake. They're going to make a mistake just like you're going to make a mistake. And then all of a sudden, Bleh. it's not going to work, okay? And you might wake up one day and discover that, hey, where'd my relationship go, right? If that's what you base it on, false expectation. That's not reality, right? But if that's where your happiness is, guess what? It's gone too. Because that's not where it's at, okay? Because you ignored what the scripture said. There is no perfect person, so there is no perfect relationship. And again, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't be happy. Don't try for a great friendship. I'm not saying don't improve on things to give you a great marriage, okay? We've had studies on that. I'm not saying that. But here's the point. Don't make the mistake of placing your ultimate joy in them. Why? Because there is no perfect relationship this side of heaven. And it's not guaranteed. And this is what the scripture says. God wants to give you something better. Even if you, all your relationships, including your marriage, go south. He says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8 and 10. We serve God. Why? Because we love him. We remain in him. We abide in him. And if we love him, we know we love him by obeying his commandments. He tells us to serve him, right? And so guess what? Hey, hey, we're full of joy. So we serve God because we always have a perfect relationship with people. No. Whether people honor us or despise us. Sometimes your relationships, they're going to do something dishonorable. Not condoning it. Let's just deal with reality. They're going to do some things that are pretty despicable. In fact, he even says this, whether they slander us or praise us, people in your relationships might try to tear you down. I'm still as a Christian going to serve God. Why? Here's the payoff. Oh, yes, it hurts. But we always have what? Joy. Why? Because you did what he said. Regardless if people praise you, hurt you, it's the best relationship, worst relationship, it doesn't matter anymore. You found the secret, and the secret is just abide in him, serve him, love him, remain in him. And even though, yes, that hurts, I can still have joy. Which would you rather have? Happiness or this kind of joy? Oh, and by the way, in your relationships, your friendships, whatever, uh, even though they know they're doing something that they shouldn't do, which I'm not condoning, but with you still being joyful as a Christian, maybe that would be a powerful witness that God could use, amen? And so maybe that's one of the things he's doing, okay? But that's not all. The third behavior we're tempted to find happiness in is the so-called, we just put it all in line, don't we? The perfect life. Huh? Yeah, that's a pipe dream. Okay, in fact, turn to somebody and encourage them with these words. That's a pipe dream. Okay, it's not reality, okay? But here's what we do. We listen to the world, right? Jesus says it's right there in the word. Just abide in him. You got more joy than you can shake a stick at, but no, apparently this is too easy. Instead of receiving that permanent joy in Jesus, this world tempts you and I to seek a temporary happiness and a so-called pain-free existence. What Bible are you reading? This is the messed up curse version. Jesus said you will experience pain and problems. You will be persecuted, especially when you love him and abide in him and serve him. So it's not like he's uh, leaving us hanging out. He warned us this was going to happen, but he'll give us joy in the midst of it if we seek him. But this world says, no, 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 it's a pain-free existence. And we say the same thing as this world, even as a Christian. We'll say this, oh, I'll be happy when I get rid of all my problems. And isn't that the justification? Well, I'm a grumpy bad witness for Jesus right now, and I'm just a real big sourpuss and all that stuff. But you know what? You don't understand. It's my problems. But when I get rid of my problems, when you get rid of, really, 
Folks, we live in a sinful, rotten world full of sinful, rotten people. And we still have to, even as a born-again Christian, deal with our own sinful, rotten nature. So guess what? Some sinful, rotten things are going to come your way once in a while. But if you place your happiness in that, thinking that you're going to somehow create a problem-free existence, your happiness is going to rot too. Don't fall for that trap. But then we'll say, well, forget it. Okay, yeah, I can't stop these problems. But here's the ultimate. And boy, are the pharmaceutical companies big on this lie. I'll be happy if I can just get rid of all my pain. Right? If I can't get rid of these problems, I just need to numb myself up. But again, the Bible never promises a pain-free life. That's an illusion. That's a lie. And if you go down that route, folks, your search for happiness is also going to be a lie. It's going to be an illusion. And again, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong about being happy to solve some problems. Please do. It does help. Okay? And don't act like they're not just communicate, work through them. Okay? I'm not saying don't solve problems. There's nothing wrong about being able to soothe some pain. Nothing wrong with that. That's not my point, okay? But here's the point. There is no perfect life. There is no such thing this side of heaven as a pain-free problem. It's not going to happen. Don't place your so-called joy in that because it cannot happen. Rather, what I've learned as a Christian, do you want to go through pain? Do you want to go through problems still with God's joy? Then here's what you do. Over the years, this, I still use this to this day myself. I ask God four questions, and I want to share that with you today. Number one, when you're going through hard times, Christian, you need to ask God this. Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Now, believe it or not, this question reminds us Christians that God is sovereign, that he's in control even over this pain, this problem, whatever it is. That's what the scripture says, right? He's not on the backside of Pluto taking a vacation, waiting for an email from the angels to say, hey, what's happening here with uh, Mario? You guys didn't tell me he was going through this. You're going to get it now. He's sovereign, okay? Now, because here's the rule. It's one thing going through a problem. It's one thing going through pain. What makes it worse is like pouring salt on a wound is to think that there's no rhyme or reason to it. But not when you say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? You acknowledge his sovereignty and all that, but you slap it together with this verse, Romans 8, 28, and you realize, hey, it's not just happening from God. He allowed it. He's not the author of sin, but he'll use anything to teach us something what? Good. Romans 8, 28, how many times do we blow through this and we don't hold on to this? Outside of eternal security, this verse is one of the most comforting verses in the scripture to me. When you go through hard times. And we what? We know. In the Greek, it's phenomenal. I don't have time to get into it. But basically, it's this. We know absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt. We don't even think about questioning this truth. That's what the Greek said. We know that in all things, how many things? Every, even the pain ones, even the problems? All is all. That God works for the good of those who what? Do you love them? Are you called according to his purpose? Then turn to somebody and say this. God's working everything out together for good. Even this problem I'm going through. Now, isn't that awesome? You see, we get into problems, and what happens is we let them run away from us. And, and we start focusing on these problems, and that's all we can see. And it's just this problem. We lose sight of God, and this question goes, Whoa, wait a second. No, 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 no. I'm not creating a black hole. God, what are you trying to teach me? I know this is not willy-nilly. I know there's not just you got a plan, you got a good plan. You got something wonderful for me in this. And it snaps your brain back into that, and you can keep moving forward with joy. The second question is this that I've learned: Lord, how can I please you in this? 
Not just, God, what are you trying to teach me, but how can I please you in this, okay? And this question I've learned uh, keeps us to remind us of not just God's sovereignty. That's the first question. This one is personal responsibility. Now, here's a freeing statement. Pay attention to this. Did you know that we are not responsible for somebody else's behavior? Isn't that awesome? I'm not responsible for somebody else's behavior. But listen, I am accountable to God for my reaction to their behavior. Right? And this is what we need to realize, folks. I can remind myself all day long as a Christian. I can memorize Romans 8, 28. God is good. He works all things together for good. He's fully sovereign. There's something awesome in this. But if I don't acknowledge what God should I do, what's my part in this? How can I please you in this? You're going to miss the lesson. And how many guys realize that God is faithful? How many guys realize that he's more concerned about your character than your comfort? And if you missed the lesson the first time, what's coming around the corner? You're going to do it again. It's called taking a lap. How many guys love taking laps? Yeah, pray for Bobby. Okay. I don't. But when you ask this question, God, how can I please you in this? You realize, wait a second. It's not just acknowledging he's sovereign. There's something good. I might need to change something myself. I want to learn this lesson because I don't want to be in grade school for the rest of my Christian walk. I want to keep advancing and growing. Lord, what? Are you trying to teach me? How can I please you in this? I don't want to take laps. And here's the one. This is perspective. Because sometimes, granted, some of the problems we go through, it is consuming, right? It's, it's hard to even start thinking about God. It's just, ah, so much pain probably hits you off guard. Ah! Ask yourself this one. This is awesome. You can feel the pressure go when you just say it. Lord, how would my attitude change if I knew I was going to meet you in five minutes? Did you feel it? <laughs> yeah. It's like letting all the pressure out of that balloon that's about ready to pop. <laughs> wow, I can breathe again. How would my attitude change if I knew I was going to meet Jesus in five minutes? Oh, did you know that that's a reality? Did you know the rapture could happen before I finish this sermon? And granted, for some of you, that would be a treat. But don't go there, Okay. The rapture could happen, right? Bang! Praise God, we go to heaven. That's awesome. Or we could die today. This is a weird thing to go through in ministry. It's weird to be in a position when you do the funerals of so many of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of us, if the rapture doesn't happen, we're going sooner than later. But it's going to happen. But when you ask this question in the midst of your pain, it's not a depressor, it's a releaser. And it really brings you down to this thing. Okay, listen, I know this thing is hard. I know it's okay, but, but listen, listen, is it, it, I, I can see Jesus in five minutes. Is it, is it really that worth getting that worked up over? You're not condoning somebody's behavior if they did something wrong or painful to you. No, of course not. But is it really getting that worked up over? I could be seeing Jesus in five minutes. Is that the last thing I want to be doing, spending my time, my last five minutes on earth? No, no. Is it really that worth getting worked up over? Right? No, it's not. Okay? It's not. It keeps things in perspective. It keeps the pressure from building up too much, and it keeps the joy coming. And finally, what I've learned is this one. You need to finally get to this point. Okay, I get it, God. Now I choose to embrace this. I choose to embrace this, not run away from it, not deny it, not stick my head in the sand. I choose to embrace this. 
And this is what I've learned, folks. You can acknowledge all day long, even as a Christian, God's good, he's loving, he's got a great purpose and theme in this. It's something valuable and I need to change. I need something I need to work on, which is still for my good, to make me stronger, to make me better as a Christian, more effective for him. And, and yes, in the grand scheme of things, if I saw him in five minutes, it's not worth getting that worked up over. I get that. But if you don't embrace it, because it might last longer than five minutes because Jesus hasn't come yet. You're going to miss what God wants to give you in the midst of it. And that's not just joy. That's pure joy. Ooh, how many guys would like to have pure joy in the midst of your pain? You can have it. I didn't make it up. This is what James has been telling us about, guys. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Consider it absolute, a rotten, horrible existence. Oh, I'm sorry, Tom, wrong translation. Pure joy whenever you have a perfect life, a perfect body, and perfect relationships. Let's close in prayer. No. When you what? Face not just trials, but how many trials? Many trials. All kinds of trials. What? I know what was going on here. See, we weren't there when this was being written down. But obviously, Tom, when he hit this first chapter... Later starts making sense. But here in this first chapter, he just got done. It was a drive-by chariot accident. He got hit in the head in the wheel. He's not thinking straight. Got off his game. No. Or does he know something that we need to be reminded of? When you face trials of many kinds, why? Because there's something awesome in it. Because you know, again, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the testing of your faith develops what? perseverance, that's hoop a minnow, you can bear up under, it's like, I don't care what you put me through, I'm not going to stop serving Jesus Christ. There's no problem, no pain, no person who's going to dictate my walkers. Whoa, isn't that a good thing to have? You ain't a joking. Oh, but it gets even better. And perseverance must finish its work because here's what he's leading you to, so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything, including joy, pure joy coming out of your ears in the midst of it. You not only come out on top, you not only become a stronger Christian, but you get this amazing joy in the midst of it. Why? Because you acknowledge, God, what are you trying to teach me? God, how can I please you in this? How would my attitude change if I was going to meet him in five minutes? I embrace this. I, ooh-wee, I can't wait for it, God. Thank you for loving me enough to use whatever it takes, even trial, to give me this kind of joy. Isn't that awesome? And folks, when we can finally get here and see that all of our problems and our pain exist for a higher purpose, it gives you the ability to transcend your pain. You really become free of no matter what this world throws at you. Like this guy, true story, Dr. Viktor Frankl. He was not only imprisoned by the Nazis in World War II simply because he was a Jew, but his wife, his children, his parents were all killed, murdered in the Holocaust. And one day, true story, the Gestapo actually made him strip stand before them totally naked, and all he had left on his body was his wedding band. As they proceeded to even cut that away, they're cutting off his wedding band, he said to himself, you can take away my wife, you can take away my children, you can strip me of my clothes and my freedom, but there is one thing no person can ever take away from me, and that is my freedom to choose how I will react what happens to me. And this is the level of Christianity that God wants us to be. We are going to experience pain just like the non-Christian. But when we can get to that point where God, I know you're doing something phenomenal. He's not condoning what obviously the Gestapo did. He's not condoning what other people may do to us. They're going to stand before God just like we will. 
But we get to that point where you can throw whatever you want at me. You are not going to get me to miss out on the joy of God. And you will not stop me from seeking him and serving him. Who doesn't want to be a Christian like that? That's when the fruit starts taking off. And then maybe one day somebody will get up here and it won't be Fanny Crosby, but it'll be your name. There was this guy named Ron Wagster. Watch this. And it, this is how it happens. This is life live. And I want to throw out all the stops today because sometimes, you know, I, I've heard this even in counseling with Christians sometimes, not at this church. And they say, but you don't understand, Pastor Billy, okay? I know that's what the Bible says, but you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what they did to me. I, I got to have this perfect body and this perfect life, and that's the only way I can ever experience No. The greatest example we saw this years ago of how you can have not a perfect life, not even a perfect body, but still radiate the joy of God, and God used that to lead souls to him, is Nick. Nick. This guy radiates the joy of God. You tell me if he had to have a perfect life in order for that to happen. Let's watch. Um, my name is Nick Vujicic, and um, as you can see, I have no arms and no legs. And we know that God is a great God. We know that God is love. But the question that I had in my life, now 24, understanding the love of God in my life, when I was a child, I didn't understand his love for me. For if God loves me, then why does he let me go through pain? Why doesn't he not change our circumstance? And we all have a cross to bear. We all have something to carry. We all have a circumstance. But we forget that the goodness of God is in his faithfulness. That he doesn't let anything happen without a reason. In Romans 8.28 it says, All things come together for the good for those who love him. Even the worst part of your life, God can use for good. How do I know that? Well, first of all, the Bible says so. And second of all, I see it now. I see the good. Did I see it when I was a child? No. Did my parents see the good in their son being born without arms and legs at first? No. But just because you can't see the purpose yet, it doesn't mean it's not coming. Amen? You don't go to a train station, look down the railway and say, no, the train's not here, I'm leaving. No, you wait for the train because the schedule says it's going to come. Well, you wait for the purpose and the good because guess who says it's going to come? God. Do you think that God is reliable? Yes. He never fails. That's what the Bible says. And just because you can't understand it, it doesn't mean it's not there or it's not coming. It's hard, though, to trust. But don't you see, this is where the victory lies. This is when we are transformed, when we invite God into our life, that we become more than conquerors. What does that mean? That my circumstance is not going to conquer me. In fact, I don't even need to worry about not having arms and legs. I already have victory. Why? Because I trust in God's grace. I trust in God's perfection when He says no. 
See, I can't guarantee you this morning that God is going to change every single circumstance because he didn't change mine. But I'm here today to tell you this, that if he doesn't choose to change your circumstance, don't let the enemy steal your joy. Did he have a perfect life? Did he have a perfect body? But he had a choice to make. And as you can see by his countenance and the fruit, he chose right. He chose to seek Jesus, not just in salvation, but even after that. Every day, abide in him, remain in him, Love him, serve him, tell other people about him. And even in his circumstances, how many guys would sit there and go, I wish I had that joy? You can. This is the good news. Do what Nick did. Abide in Jesus Christ right now. Not tomorrow, not next. Don't wait till next New Year's, make another resolution. Right now, today, not even before you get out of this sanctuary, right now, today, make that commitment. I'm going to seek you, Jesus, every day. By the Spirit of God, I'm going to remain in you. I'm going to abide in you. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to tell other people about you, and I'm telling you, it won't even take 24 hours. You're going to have joy come out of your ears. And it'll be much better to look at next week for the person sitting next to you looked at earlier. I'll close with this. I'll never forget a guy said one time, very convicting. Here's what we do as Christians. We all love to hear stories about some famous missionary, whether it's Fanny Crosby or George Whitfield. We've seen two of them already. Tons more, right? And it's so encouraging and so awesome. And it's like, wow, man, to be alive at that time or to be used of God like that. And he says, listen, aren't you tired of reading a story about somebody who knew 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 some Christian who did one thing at one time? Don't you want to be that Christian? That's what our study's about. You can be. It's not just for a select few. God's the same God we're just as much as children is. We got his spirit too. 
We just need to seek him, abide in him. He'll give us that joy and create a life worth living for. Amen? Let's be those people. Let's be that church in these last days. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. 
God so loved the world that He sent His one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in Him, what He did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but He will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a of death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for 
uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.